I V M. Hi, I'm Utsav, a behavior researcher by training and a slow traveler by passion. Postcards from Nowhere is a travel podcast where I condense a decade of travel experiences and explore not just the where but also the why and how to travel. My stories emerged from slow traveling the less explored parts of the world: Bosnia and Herzegovina, Armenia, Uzbekistan, and even China. At the end of each story, I give practical tips and new ideas about how to travel better. This week, we travel to 18th century America and France and uncover the story of a tree which played a pivotal role in the formation of these modern nations. For freemen like brothers agree with one spirit endured they one friendship pursued and their temple was liberty tree 1765 north america large parts of the continent were ruled by the british and were known as the 13 colonies which included territory in canada and the caribbean the british government imposed a stamp act on the american colonies it required all legal documents permits commercial contracts newspapers pamphlets and even playing cards to carry a tax stamp colonists were outraged in boston a group of local businessmen calling themselves the loyal nine began meeting in secret to plan a series of protests against the stamp act on 14th august 1765 a crowd gathered in boston under a large tree at the corner of essex street and washington street to protest the hated stamp act this was the first public show of defiance against the crown the tree became a central gathering place for protesters and grounds surrounding it became popularly known as liberty hall a liberty pole was installed nearby with a flag that could be raised above the tree to summon the town's people to a meeting when the stamp act was repealed in 1766 people gathered at the liberty tree to celebrate they decorated the tree with flags and streamers and when evening fell hung dozens of lanterns from its branches soon colonists in other town from newport rhode island to charleston south carolina began naming their own liberty trees and the tree of liberty became a familiar symbol of the american revolution the first gathering under the tree spawned the resistance that led to the american revolutionary war 10 years later liberty trees and poles were often destroyed by the british and then defiantly replanted the meaning and spirit of these trees were captured by thomas paine in the lines you heard at the beginning of this episode throughout most of the 1790s thomas paine lived in france and got deeply involved in the french revolution in 1790 at vienne in france a priest inspired by the tree in boston planted it in his town This subsequently led to many more such trees being planted all over France. Liberty trees were also planted in other countries in Europe to celebrate their revolutions. After the Greek Revolution that lasted from 1821 to 32, a thousand trees were brought to Athens from Missolonghi, the sacred city of the struggle against the Turks. In 1839, they were planted in the National Garden. Along with the Liberty trees, Liberty poles sprouted all over Europe after the French Revolution. One such pole was immortalized in a Gaudi watercolor painting. It depicts a liberty pole at the border to the short-lived Republic of Mainz, created under the influence of the French Revolution and destroyed in the Siege of Mainz, in which Gaudi participated. Why were the revolutionaries of the late 1700s planting these trees 
or setting up these poles because they needed something to replace the religious and monarchical symbols they had just destroyed. They wanted symbols that inspired and a tree which grows as much as 30 meters high was a great choice. The Liberty Pole usually had a flagstaff, which was a rather obvious phallic symbol of fertility and celebration. Meanwhile, as the French Revolution was speaking, a mathematician by the name of Lazare Carnot was working on judicial matters. But what role does a mathematician play in judicial matters? He was working on standardization of paper formats which could be used in courts. He developed formats such as A2 and A3. Early in the 20th century, Dr. Walter Potsman turned Carnot's and German scientist Lichtenberg's idea into a proper system of different paper sizes. The most popular size we know today is the A4 size. Traditionally, a number of different sizes were defined for large sheets of paper, and paper sizes were defined by the number of times it had been folded. And thus emerged the term folio, a paper which was folded only once. This became the basis of the first ever mass-produced printed book, the Gutenberg Bible, which was simply a paper folded once, which gave rise to a word which we use extensively today, portfolio, or a loose collection of papers. Apt for an artist, and also apt for your financial investments, since not so long ago, all investments had paper proofs. During this time, there emerged a Dutch publisher who pioneered a style of paper called Duodecimo, which was folded four times. The publisher was Elzever, but they ceased production by 1712. By then, they had published two new sciences, a work of Galileo at a time when his work was suppressed for religious reasons. Over 150 years later, a contemporary publisher took over the name and logo of Elzever. In 2019, that publisher clogged a revenue of $2.64 billion. If you ever had access to an academic paper in the field of science and medicine, you would have heard of them, Elsevier, which publishes the prestigious medical journal, The Lancet. Elsevier used the Elsevier's printer's mark, a tree entwined with a vine and the words non-solus, which is Latin for not alone. According to Elsevier, the logo represents the symbiotic relationship between publisher and scholar. The Liberty Tree, which sparked the American Revolutionary War, which became a mainstay of the French and Greek Revolution and found in the logo of the scientific publisher Elsevier, is the Elm Tree. They grow all over the Northern Hemisphere from North America to Indonesia. They like a lot of light, flourish in open landscapes, are tolerant of city pollution and are rot resistant. But the 1970s saw the second wave of the Dutch elm epidemic, caused by the highly aggressive fungus of Histoma novo ulmi. It led to an environmental disaster and killed hundreds of millions of elms across Europe and North America, 25 million in Britain alone. If you live in the United States or the UK, look up the map of your town. You probably have an elm street. The many street and even town names containing elm or ulm are a reminder of the loss to the landscape and to the web of insects and birds that depended on old elms. If you travel to Netherlands today, especially to the cities of The Hague and Amsterdam, you would find more than 75,000 elm trees lying in the canals and streets. 
if you make your way to the historical center of Amsterdam, the dam square, you would find a cenotaph, which is known as the National Monument. In 1945, when Netherlands was liberated from Nazi occupation, a liberty pole was erected in dam square, which eventually gave way to the National Monument. It commemorates the casualties of World War II and subsequent armed conflicts. The humble elm tree underscores the story of its own death as much as it underscores the story of revolutions and world wars. In our lifetime of a few decades, we need to remember that trees which live for hundreds of years are chroniclers of history. We only need to slow down, sit under the tree and decipher the stories they carry. If you like this podcast, don't forget to check out other interesting podcasts on the IBM network. You can listen to us on the IBM podcast app or ibmpodcast.com. You can also follow us on our social media. We are at IBM Podcasts on Twitter and Instagram. If you want to reach out to me, I am Utsav Memory on Twitter and YV Travel 42 on Instagram. 